with us. Lots of chatter. Merry Christmas! We're excited to enter into our Advent season as we have decorated our stage with some Christmas trees and a stable uh, because the stable in biblical times had Christmas trees. So that's what we're mixing them together. No, it's, it looks great. We love it. We're thankful for Pastor Josh and his wife, Caitlin, and the team that they had that decorated. Um, but yeah, Merry Christmas. We're entering into a new sermon series called A Thrill of Hope. A Thrill of Hope. So we're going to be exploring what that thrill of hope really is. But if you are new, newer with us this morning, uh, my name is James. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I'm, I love this church. And as of next week, it will be seven years that I've been here. Seven years. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Th- thank you. Thank you. Actually, I... Uh, I mentioned that in the first service, and I got a text from Pastor Sean that said, you should ask for an iPad. And so I said, Sean, can I have an iPad? <laughs> we'll see. I have one here. It's a broken screen. My son, love him. <laughs> but uh, we are starting this new series, A Thrill of Hope, and so we're going to look at a few different things over the Advent season of why the, thr- uh, the coming of Christ was such a thrill of hope. And so we're going to look at the Israelites, we're going to look at the shepherds, the wise men, and the angels. And so this morning I get the beautiful opportunity to talk to you about why the coming of Christ was such a big deal to the Israelites. Now, we all would know the song, um, The Thrill of Hope, A Weary World Rejoices. That's how it goes. A thrill of... No, sorry. I'll stop. Leave that to Pastor Josh. Um, But wouldn't you agree that we're all kind of living in a little bit of a weary world currently? I mean, with with natural disasters and flooding and the pandemic and and certain individuals that have uh, suffered excruciating loss of maybe loved ones, businesses, uh, social circles, different family events happening, we're living in a little bit of a weary world. And so wouldn't it be nice if there was a little bit of a thrill of hope that could come into your life this morning and give you a little bit of excitement for your life this morning. I believe that there is. Jesus will give you that thrill of hope. But when we're talking this morning, we're going to look at the Israelites. And so when we look towards the Israelites and the nation of Israel, I want to talk about their history. Because it's, it's not, I could just tell you, yeah, they were looking forward to Jesus. Done. But I think it would be important if we looked through their history on what they've gone through, how they've gotten to where they are now, where the coming of Christ was such a big deal to them. And so this morning, I want to go through the history of Israel. Is that okay with you? Let me pray. Jesus, we look forward to the Advent season because we look forward to the coming of Christ. We look forward to you bringing hope into our lives. As we focused on hope this morning through lighting of the Advent candle, Lord, I pray that you would continue to shape our hearts, shape our minds. Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves to listen to your word and listen for your voice. Lord, I pray for our weary world that needs you. Lord, we pray that you would come and you would speak to individuals that need to hear your voice. 
We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. Amen. Now, in order to understand the Israelites, we need to understand that they didn't just start as a nation. They didn't just start as a huge city. They didn't just start, uh, they started as a family. They started as a, a group of individuals. And we look at Abraham, who had his son, and then his son had his son, and those three people, uh, the nation of Israel, were based off of them. And so we're looking at uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The nation of Israel can be traced back to those three individuals, which in and of itself is fully a miracle. Because if we read Genesis and the, the story of Genesis and we get to chapter 16, we will read that Abraham and Sarah struggled with infertility. And so we have this entire people group based off of uh, and traced back to these people who struggled with infertility, that struggled to have children. They struggled. In Genesis chapter 16, it talks about their struggle with infertility. But then if you read Genesis chapter 17, there's a promise from God that God promises the son, Isaac. So God promises to people that are struggling and really not seeing a whole lot of hope. He promises them hope in their son, Isaac. What I learned from this is two things. God makes good on his promises. But the second thing I learned is that sometimes we're in a chapter 16 in life, where life isn't great, things kind of maybe suck, life is struggling, we're struggling along, we have burdens, we have weariness, we have certain things happening in our lives, and we get stuck focused on chapter 16, and we forget that there's a chapter 17. There is hope, there is a promise for you this morning. So do not get focused on the hopelessness and start focusing on the hope. Because 16 is going to just turn the page, and 17 is coming. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I love the story, because time and time again in their story, they see themselves in 16, losing focus maybe of 17. But if we continue to read... Isaac is born in chapter 21, and so maybe there's this promise that happens in your life, and you have to wait a couple more chapters to see it come to fruition, but hopefully you will not lose focus on chapter 16, because there's a promise coming your way, and God makes good on his promises. So Isaac is born in Genesis chapter 21, and then in chapter 22, God has an amazing promise again for Abraham. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 17 to 18, it says, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions or take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. What an incredible story. What an incredible promise to Abraham. First, let's focus. There is hope for your family still. I come from a broken family. 
And I pray to the Lord that there is hope for my family still. There is hope for your family. Do not focus on 16, because there's a promise of 17, and 21 is coming. What an incredible promise. As we continue to read through the Genesis story, we see that the Israelite family, this group of individuals, they continue to grow and they continue to multiply and they continue to go. Uh, uh, God continues to make good on his promise of, of making the nation as numerous as the stars. And so God is making good on his promise as we continue to read through Genesis. But eventually, though, Abraham passes away at the ripe age of 175 years old. And he leaves everything he has to Isaac. He leaves everything to Isaac. And the growing family continues to go through their growing pains. And they go through their ups and downs, as any family would. But eventually famine comes into their land. And people are struggling to eat, struggling to provide. They're struggling. And so the family is struggling in this famine. And during the famine, Jacob's sons go to Egypt, and they plead with Joseph for some supplies, some food. Now, here's what's interesting about this story, is that these sons go and plead with Joseph. Now, Joseph is actually also one of Jacob's sons. But Jacob's brothers sold him off to slavery because they were jealous of him years and years and years ago. And so all of a sudden, they have come full circle to Joseph, who went into slavery in Egypt and then eventually became good friends, good buds with Pharaoh and the people who are in power there and uh, it was, had some pull and some decision-making uh, power. And these sons are here begging for some supplies. And they don't even recognize him. They don't even know who they're talking to, but he knows them. He didn't forget. What would you do in this situation? Like, honestly, let's just examine our own hearts for a moment. What would you do in this situation? I can tell you that unsanctified Pastor James might come out in this moment, (laughs) and I might have a few choice words. But that's not what happens. See, Joseph is like, ah, I, I feel like they've changed, and I feel like they're, they actually need help, and so I'm going to talk to Pharaoh, I'm going to talk to the people, we're going to invite my dad, my brothers, the family, to live here in Egypt with us. Because we have, we have stuff, we, we're good to go, and we could probably help them. And so he decides that he would invite them to come and settle in Egypt. This is how the Israelites entered Egypt. So, we continue to read. We're moving. We're out of Genesis. We're moving along. Eventually, Jacob passes away. And eventually, later on, Joseph passes away. And a new king arises in Egypt who never knew Joseph, didn't have this tight bond with him, didn't really care about that. He didn't really know, he didn't know Joseph. And so he decides that the people of Israel are growing too much. They're growing too fast. There's millions of them. And if they are to all of a sudden go to war, Egypt, and uh, 
they were, this new king was afraid that the Israelites would turn on Egypt and take them over as well. And so this new king is like, we must enslave them. We must make them work really hard so that they're too tired to continue to multiply and too tired to fight against us if we go to war. So we must enslave them. And so this is how the Israelites became enslaved to the Egyptians. And time continues to go by, and they're having a lot of troubles, it would seem, as a nation. They're struggling to maybe survive. They're struggling to see the end. They're focused maybe on chapter 16, and forget about chapter 17. But then we get to Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, and it says to them, I'm the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. So the Lord is talking and saying to them, go and tell the Israelites this. And so what blows my mind, though, is that we get into verse 9, and verse 9 says, Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. They are focused on chapter 16. They just got chapter 17, but they don't believe that chapter 21 can come. They're focused on the problem, not the promise. And maybe in our lives, we need to stop focusing on the problem and start focusing on the promise. Because God has promises for all of us. He has promises to give you hope and a future. He has promises to give you life and life abundantly. But instead of focusing on the promises, some of us might be focused on the problem. So Moses tells the Israelites the promise, and they do not believe him. Despite the fact that time and time and time again, they have seen God make a promise, then make good. The whole nation of Israel is built off God making good on a promise to Abraham. But for some reason, they choose not to see the promise. And how often is that us? How often has God made a promise to us? How often has God come through for us? How often have we decided, no, that can't happen because I'm here right now? Probably too many times, to be honest. And we get focused on our right now. But let me remind you of Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. If you lose focus, if you lose focus on that promise, if you lose focus on chapter 16 and 21, then your heart will grow sick and weary. And so we do have a weary world right now because I believe we have lost focus. But true to fashion, God comes through for the Israelites. True to fashion, he comes through and he starts helping them out. He starts bringing, actually, uh, he starts coming true, making true his promises. He brings plagues on the Egyptians. Hey, let my people go. Plagues. No, I don't let your people go. Plagues. No, I won't let your people go. Eventually, okay, fine, I'll let your people go. And so they leave and they start making their way and they get to this, they get to the sea. And all of a sudden, they, they, they're stuck, and the Egyptians are like, we shouldn't have let them go. 
who's going to build our buildings? Let's go get them. And then there's this sea, and they're like, how do I get, get through this? And then God's like, splits the sea. It's unheard of. Could you imagine just walking straight over to Vancouver right now? Be a long walk, actually. <laughs> but uh, God comes through for them. Again and again and again. And then they get, into e- or they get into the desert. And I wish I could say that this was the turning point for Israel. That this is like, they're like, oh my goodness, the Lord is real and he makes things happen. But instead, they start to grumble and complain. They get thirsty. God, we're thirsty. We're in the desert. And God's like, here's water. And God, oh, we're hungry. And he's like, here's man and quail. Ah, we should just go back to Egypt. What? They continue to complain and be grumbly. And, and maybe it's just hangry. I don't know. But they continue to get angry at the Lord. And for 40 years, they wander the desert looking for the promised land, the land that was promised to them. And eventually they would find it. There's a whole bunch of reasons and a whole bunch of things that have happened that allowed them to get to the promised land. And the promised land was this land that was flowing with milk and honey, which is just literature to say that they had their sustenance. They had what they needed, that God would provide. And again, they choose the wrong things to do. They start worshiping false idols. They start committing sins. They start doing things that are not right in the eyes of the Lord. Although God has continually given them promises, has continually showed up, and has continually made himself known to them, they continue to make the wrong decision. And they act in their behavior against God. And eventually... Judgment would come. And Moses warned them. Moses, back in the day, he was like, hey, don't do these things. Don't make false idols. Don't do worship false gods. Like, don't just because judgment will come. They had the warning, but they still chose to do their thing. And judgment came. The Babylonian exile would take place. In 587 B.C., Jerusalem would become under attack by the Babylonian Empire. And they would come, and they would burn their houses down, they would burn their temple, and they would take thousands of Israelites out of their homes and displace them all over ancient Babylon. The Babylonian exile would take place because they made the wrong choices, did the wrong things, didn't listen to God. And they would become exiles. But eventually, they were allowed to go back home. They were allowed to go back to their land. And I'd like to say that it was home sweet home, but it wasn't. They continued to make wrong choices. But they found themselves under the oppressive leadership of different people, different power uh, groups. And they would continue to act in corrupt and disrespectful ways towards the Lord. But some people would cling to the promises of God still. 
Isaiah 43, verse 1 to 3 says, Israel, the Lord who created you says, do not be afraid. I will save you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through deep waters, I will be with you. Your troubles will not overwhelm you. Interesting, that happened. When you pass through fire, you will not be burned. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The hard trials that come will not hurt you, for I am the Lord your God. God continues to speak to them, continues to call them, continues to promise them. And I would say, venture to say, that the exile that they were experiencing became much more. It became a universal picture. It became something more symbolic. It became the feeling of alienation and the longing for something more. I would venture to say that we have all experienced some sort of spiritual exile. The feeling and the hoping for more. Exile becomes a human condition. Exile becomes a condition that's leading us to a Babylon that we cannot escape on our own merits. And I think it'd be safe to say that we are all longing for a better home. We're all longing for hope, for joy, for love, for peace. We're all longing for meaning and purpose. We have all experienced the human condition of exile. And Scripture would point us towards a king that would rescue the Israelites, rescue Israel from Babylon, from exile. Scripture would point us towards the coming of Christ. And Scripture again and again and again would point us to this. In the Old Testament, these Scriptures are called Messianic prophecies. Prophecies pointing towards the Messiah, the Savior, Messianic prophecies talk of an expectation of a deliverer whose advent, whose coming, should introduce a reign of truth and justice. And the Israelites would be familiar with these kind of promises and these kind of Messianic prophecies, like Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For us, for unto, for to us, for unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so the people were looking forward to a conqueror. They were looking forward to a deliverer. They were looking for a God that would free them from the Babylonian exile. Just the same way that God freed them from the oppressive leaders of Egypt. So they were looking for this, this warrior God to show up. But I'll be honest, this wasn't God's plan this time. This wasn't the way He was going to work. This isn't the way He wanted to work. God's plan from the beginning wasn't about restoring land or freedom restoring your flesh. God's plan from the beginning 
was about helping Israel, helping us change our heart. Because it was clear that their heart was broken, deceived, and they continued to make wrong decisions because what was in their heart was broken. And so God's plan was always to restore their heart. Jeremiah 24, verse 7 says, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. Or Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And so God's promises here to Israel isn't about bringing them out of this rule of the Roman Empire, but it is to restore and change their hearts. And a weary world needs to rejoice now. And the only way we can rejoice is if our hearts are fully changed and we recognize that there is a God that loves us, cares about us. And so we continue to see God providing for the Israelites, providing victory, providing food, providing for their needs. But this time, God is more concerned with their heart. And this is as much true for them, that is now, that God is concerned with your heart. He's concerned with who you are. He's concerned with your relationship with Him. He's concerned deeply about you. There's a God who cares so deeply about you and is calling you back to His heart. And the reality is that we all live in a Babylon of our own making. While we search for status, we search for power, we make idols. But the reality is that Jesus is the only one that can free us from this Babylon, from this exile. Too often, I find that our culture wants a kingdom, but not the king. They want a kingdom, but not Jesus. But Jesus is the only king to the kingdom. And maybe it's time for us to put away our presuppositions of how we think things should be. And start listening to the voice that was there in the beginning, that is there now, and will be there forever. Maybe we need to stop thinking of how things should be and start thinking and listening for His voice. Maybe it's time for us to stop relying on our own strength and allow God to give us a new heart. We cannot achieve a new creation on our own. We are in desperate need of help in the deepest way, which is precisely why Jesus came to be the one who helps us. And so during the Advent season, we look forward to the coming of Christ. We look forward to the fact that he brings hope, that he brings joy, that he brings love and peace. We look forward to that. Not because he brings us freedom from situation, although I do think he can, but instead because he brings freedom through salvation. 
of what corrupts our heart. And so this Christmas season, may we not be the people that focus on 16, but we cling to the promise of 17, knowing 21 is coming. Stand with me as I pray. Jesus, we're so humbled by the fact that you love us and that you would come for us, that you would give us a new heart. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to shape and mold my heart, our hearts. Lord, that we would hand all things over to you and that we would rely on your promises, not forgetting about what you have done for us, but Lord, we would continue to walk with you knowing that you are God, that you are there and you always will be. Lord, help us not be like the Israelites, flip-flopping back and forth, but Lord, help us be steadfast, sold out, hungry for you. Lord, we're thankful for you. In your name, amen. If you are new, newer with us, maybe you don't know Jesus, maybe you'd like to know Jesus, we'd love for you just to text the word uh, LIFE to 250-478-7113. And what that will do is uh, get you connected with one of our pastors who would love to talk to you more about this life and life abundantly that is there for you. We also have Pastor Josh in our Welcome Center in the back over there, and we'd love for you to get to know him, meet him, and he'd love to talk about Jesus with you. And so, other than that, church, thankful that you are here. Hope you have a great rest of your week and Sunday, and we will see you next week. Love you, church.